Praise the Lord. Good morning. Father, we thank you for the opportunity that you have given us this morning. And we just pray for your strength, your healing, and your overwhelming spirit to work through us. That we can hear the word that you've given us for this moment. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to speak to you this morning on the subject, useful vessels. Useful vessels. In the book of John, chapter 16, and verse 21, the Bible declares a woman, when she is in travail, has sorrow, because her hour is come. But as soon as she is delivered of the child, she remembereth no more the anguish for joy that a man is born into the world. Every birth is different. Every pregnancy is different. It's a process. And women know that process in general. And the word travail means birth. It's a process. To produce a seed. To produce from a seed. And as you know, that there's moments during a pregnancy, especially when the birth is about to take place, the time of darkness comes with pain. And the moment comes when the pregnant woman wants to flee. It's called the flight to escape. And she looks at her husband and says, Get my coat because we're leaving. And of course she can't leave because she's about to give birth. And it's in those dark moments of our spiritual life that we have a tendency to want to flee the darkness. The flight to escape is very prominent in our lives. I like to study this morning this concept. The concept of process and darkness. And the process is different for each and every one of us. You don't bear my cross and I don't bear yours. In some areas it's similar. But in many areas it's dissimilar. Some people think because I have become a Christian. And I love God. I come to church. I pay my tithe, I'm good to everyone, that no darkness should befall us. It's not a clear concept of Christianity. Over and over again in the Bible, the Bible tells us of men and women who went through the process, the travail, giving birth to their future and their destiny coming out of darkness. Abraham is a great example in Genesis 15. He said unto him, I am the Lord that brought thee out of Ur of the Chaldees to give thee this land to inherit. And he said, Lord God, whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? And he said unto him, take me a heifer of three years old and a she-goat of three years old and a ram of three years old and a turtle dove and a young pigeon. 
And he took unto him all these and divided them in the midst and laid each piece one against another. But the birds divided he not. And when the fowls came down upon the carcasses, Abraham drove them away. And when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and lo, a horror of great darkness fell upon him. And he said unto Abram, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them four hundred years. And also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge, and afterward shall they come out with great substance. And thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace. Thou shalt be buried in a good old age. But in the fourth generation they shall come hither again, for the iniquities of the Amorites is not yet full. And it came to pass that when the sun went down and it was dark, behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp that passed between those pieces. In the same day the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying unto thy seed have I given this land from the river of Egypt unto the great river, the river Euphrates. The darkness that Abraham experienced was the affliction of God's people. What they would have to pass through, that darkness. And so too we have to pass through the darkness and horror sometimes of affliction. Horror is dread. Horror is fear. Horror is frightening. And darkness is misery. It's withholding light from us. It's when those areas of our life become dim. And it seems as though God is hiding from us and becomes dim to us as we experience this affliction. It all begins with the seed. The seed within a woman's womb produces a child. God spoke to Abraham about the seed, that the seed, his posterity, is processed, started with 70 people. Ended up with three million Jews who were taken out of Egypt. God put the seed of Christ in us to allow that seed to cause a process to happen in our lives, to produce a product. And that product is God's will in our life that we might please Him. But in order for that process to take place, there has to be a cross. Of affliction and sometimes a cross of great horror and darkness. Joseph was thrown into a dungeon. Twenty years he experienced great darkness. His brethren cast him into a pit. His brethren sold him to the Ishmaelites in the book of Genesis, chapter 37, verses 23 through 28. As nations grew, Abraham became the father of a great nation. It was birthed through him. Joseph preserved a nation from famine. But look what he went through in Genesis chapter 39 and verse 10. Because he did not respond to the advances of Potiphar's wife. Because he didn't respond to the Spirit of seduction. The spirit of immorality. He was put in a prison 
for a few years. The Bible talks about his darkness in Psalm 105 and verse 17. He sent a man before them, even Joseph, who was sold for a servant, whose feet they hurt with fetters. He was laid in iron until the time that his word came. The word of the Lord tried him. The king sent and loosed him, even the ruler of the people, and let him go free. He made him lord of his house and ruler of all of his substance to bind his princes at his pleasure and teach his senators wisdom. What happened? It didn't happen overnight. It was a 20-year process of God giving birth to Joseph's destiny. But look what he went through. He was thrown in a pit at 17 years old. He was sold as a slave to the Ishmaelites. He served in the house of Potiphar only to be set up and thrown under the bus by Potiphar's wife because he failed to respond to her advances. Two years in prison, in fetters, in chains. Darkness, horror, dread happens to great men and women of God. And it happens to those who are living today in Christianity. Obviously, our brothers and sisters in foreign countries are experiencing a great horror and a great dread through persecution. We haven't experienced that yet here in America. As I said, everyone's cross is different. Everyone bears their own afflictions and it's different. Everyone experiences their own horror, their own dread, and their own darkness. In Exodus, the Bible says in Exodus chapter 2 and verse 11, And it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown that he went out unto his brethren and looked on their burdens. And he spied an Egyptian smiting a Hebrew, one of his brethren. And he looked this way and that way, and when he saw that there was no man, he slew the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. And when he went out the second day, behold, two men of the Hebrews strove together. And he said to him that did wrong, Wherefore smitest thou thy fellow? And he said, Who made thee a prince and judge over us? Intendest thou to kill me as thou killed the Egyptian? And Moses feared. Here's the dread. Here's the beginning of the process. Here's the horror. Here's the darkness. And said, Surely this thing is known. Now when Pharaoh heard this thing, he sought to slay Moses. But Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian and sat down by a well. Moses intervened for a brother and ended up killing an Egyptian. Changed the whole destiny of Moses' life. One decision. One decision changed his entire course. But that one decision was going to lead to a desert, but eventually to the deliverance of a nation. Forty years on the backside of the desert, Moses dwelled. Forty years. 40 years of thinking. What was I thinking when I killed that Egyptian? What was I thinking? And what is God thinking? Midian was the place of strife. 
Midian means contention. Midian means brawling and discord. It means to plead a cause. It means to vindicate. And my mind tells me that almost every day I believe that Moses sat down in Midian, pleading his cause, having a controversy, a contention, a brawling within his own spirit saying, what have I done and where am I going? And what is my destiny? My mother placed me in a basket and sent me down the river. Surely God has a plan for my life. Surely there's a destiny for my life. Surely something has to happen in my life. But I did not expect 40 years in the desert. None of us desires 40 years in any desert. As a matter of fact, we don't desire four minutes in a desert. And in that desert, in Exodus 3 and 1, the Bible says, Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law. He was an educated man. And if you look at the history of Moses, he knew just about every subject you can think of. Astronomy, geometry, mathematics, history. Because he was learned and schooled in the home of Pharaoh. And now, he's taking care of animals. He's taking care of his father-in-law's sheep. And the Bible says he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. You see, Moses was en route. You're en route this morning. You're in process. And I don't know where you are. And sometimes I don't even know where I am in my own process with God. All I can go by sometimes is the steps of a righteous man or woman are ordered by the Lord. All I can go by sometimes is to lean not to my own understanding. And all my ways acknowledge Him and He promises to direct my paths. But it doesn't mean without harm. It doesn't mean without dread. It doesn't mean sometimes without darkness. It doesn't mean sometimes without failure. It doesn't mean that. It's a process. It's a giving birth. And like all of us, sometimes we have the desire, the flight to escape. It's too much, Lord. It's too heavy. You're asking too much. And you can't sit there and tell me that you haven't had those feelings and thoughts in your heart and in your mind. Because God knows our humanity. You're stretching me, God, like a rubber band. I feel like a piece of taffy, oh God, that's about to break. It's been stretched so long. Where's my relief? Joshua said to the people in Joshua 3 and 5, he said, sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Joshua took the place of Moses. And for years, God was preparing him through a process to become a productive man of God. But he just didn't arrive. He had to go through things. He had to experience affliction. He had to experience darkness and pain. But God spoke to him and said, Tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Sanctify yourself. God is expecting to have us set ourselves apart to him. 
To consecrate ourselves to Him. To dedicate ourselves to Him and to be holy. Once you are in that position of sanctification, God begins to move the process in your life. Because what you're saying to God is this, I'm ready. I'm ready. Whatever comes my way, whatever I have to experience to get to the place of giving birth to my destiny and having an effect on my family, my friends, and my life, so be it, Lord. So be it. It's a resignation. It's a resigning of your will and accepting the will of God. That God can do wonders through us, which means something beyond our human power. Something that's too difficult for us to do. Something that's too difficult for us to understand. The word wonders means to do extraordinary or hard or a difficult thing. It means to perform miracles. Impossible, Lord. Couldn't be me. I'm just a grain of sand on the beach. I'm a number. I'm a social security number, an ID number. I have a license number. How could that possibly be? Because we see ourselves as grasshoppers and not as giants. I said we see ourselves as grasshoppers on the ground and not standing tall as giants for God. More than conquerors through Him. More than conquerors. We know what a conqueror is. We know through history great conquerors who tried to conquer the world. But He says we're more than conquerors. But we sit there amazed, like, how could that possibly be me? Does God want to do something through me? Does God want to birth a destiny through me? You see, God's desire is to set us apart to do wonders in His name. In order for the Lord to use us with signs and wonders through Him, we must become prepared. The line isn't very long for preparation. People aren't knocking down the doors to say, God, prepare me for my destiny. We must submit sometimes to the darkness. We must submit sometimes to the dungeon as Joseph did. We must submit to the desert as Moses did. When God calls upon us, it's what helps us to die spiritually. It's what helps us to become dependent upon Him So he can fill us more with his spirit that we resemble him to the world. That's the process. That we become the presentation of God to the world. That we become the salt and light of the earth to the world. That we become the ambassadors of Christ to the world. Are you willing to be birthed and go through travail that a woman goes through, that something great might be born in your life. <laughs> I said, are you willing to be birthed and go through the process of dread sometimes and horror and disappointment? 
isolation, abandonment. You know all the words, rejection. Are you willing? Are you willing to look beyond all of those descriptive words that describe us, our state and our emotions sometimes? Are we willing to look beyond that and see the baby being born? Are we willing to look beyond the pain for the joy that awaits us as God births our destiny through this process? Even coming through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil. God is looking for willing vessels who will submit when called upon to go through darkness. I'll never forget a sermon that David Wilkerson preached called The Making of a Man of God. You can't become a man or woman of God until you go through a Gethsemane experience as Jesus. A wonderful revelation and sermon by Pastor Wilkerson. The making of a man of God. You got to go through some things to become something. You have to go through a period of submission. You have to fight off the Unclean birds of Babylon that come and try to destroy the sacrifice of your life to God as Abraham did in the book of Genesis. You have to fight off those unclean birds of Babylon that try to interrupt the process. You have to fight off people sometimes in their spirits and their wrong motives that come into your sheepfold and say, no, you are an unclean bird of Babylon and you will not disturb the process. You will not disturb the journey. You will not disturb my presentation that God is trying to create in my life. That we would make him our husband. That we would love him above all. And everyone. That we would depend upon him. For all of our needs first. So we're not disappointed. When man or woman fails us. Listen. The Bible says in the book of Isaiah. Chapter 8 and verse 18. He says behold. I and the children whom the Lord has given me. Are for signs. And for wonders in Israel. From the Lord of hosts, which dwelleth in Mount Zion. God says, What? We are signs and wonders for the Lord. Mark 16 19 says this So then, after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. And they went forth, who? The disciples, and preached everywhere. The Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. Amen. Does God want to use me? Yes. I don't know what capacity. I don't know your process. I don't know the preparation that God wants to put you through. But I can say this to you this morning. The sum total of all the experiences and events that have taken place in your life until this very moment are useful to God and part 
of the preparation and the process that he's begun in your life. Because he's promised that the good work that he's begun in your life, he will complete. So sometimes we look at our past and we have all failed and we have all sinned according to the word of God. But sometimes we look and we say, who am I? What am I? What use am I? What good am I? And we even say that as Christians. And God is screaming at us. He's screaming at us. And he says, I see you as a wonder and a sign for the Lord. The cost is different for each individual, my friend. I said the cost is different for each individual. In Exodus chapter 3 and verse 11, And Moses said unto God in that desert, He said, Who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh, and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? Who am I, God? I take care of sheep. I take care of lambs. I've turned into a farmer. Who am I? I'm 80 years old. The first 40 years of my life was a dream. And then one act of aggression. One act. Thinking I was doing the right thing by defending someone. Has brought me 40 years in the desert of Midian. Where you know God, we've had multiple conversations. And you know God, the anguish and the warfare in my soul. What if? What if? What if I made a different decision that day? And we all do that. What if? If I would have done that, maybe this would have happened. And if I was a woman, I wouldn't be a man. Think about it. It's who we are and what we are at this moment that God is most interested in. Who am I, God, that I would go speak to Moses? To Pharaoh as Moses, the farmer. Exodus chapter 4, verse 10. And Moses continues and he says unto the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither here to for, nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant, but I am slow of speech and of a slow tongue. Chill, Moses. I got this. Because Aaron, your brother, is a wonderful speaker. He's eloquent. He's good with words. He knows how to bring forth the verbal. So what's your other excuse, Moses? Because I'm calling you to be a wonder. Hey, listen, we're not all called to be a Moses. We're not all called to be a Joshua. We're not all called to be James or John or David or whoever. Very few of us are called to change the course of history. But we are all called to inspire and influence individuals that are in our sphere of life and in our world. Hear me. Moses went through a process for 40 years. You hear me say often, 
that God, as he did in the marriage of Cana, he saves the last, the best for last. I believe the culmination of our lives and experiences to this point in our life is now at the place where God says it's time. It's time. It's time that my people become a wonder and a sign unto Israel. It's a time the Bible says the Lord working with them following them with signs and wonders. See our problem is we don't really believe. Our problem is is that we don't really believe that deity lives within. And we allow this intellectual carnal mind to dominate our spirit and we become soulish instead of spiritual. And when we become soulish, we become emotional. We become sometimes carnal. And the soul begins to dictate to the spirit when God's Holy Spirit wants to dictate to our spirit, to dictate to our soul and say to our soul, this is the will of God and this is the process that I must go through. But our soul cries out and says, it's too much. It's too much pain. It's too much effort. It's too much affliction. It's too much darkness. Lord, it's just too much. And the soul overruns our spirit. When God is knocking on our door and he's saying, listen, I want to minister to your spirit. So your spirit ministers to your soul and then to your body, making you a body, soul, and spirit that has been influenced and inspired by deity, the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. People don't understand that concept. When you're born, you're born with a body, soul, and spirit. But when you accept Christ, that power of the God, the love of Jesus, and the power of the Holy Spirit invades your temple to influence you. But when life gets too hard, sometimes we return to the soulish, feeling sorry for ourselves, wanting to be pampered, wanting to be babied, wanting to be taken care of. And we say to God, you just don't understand. Listen. Individual process is not the same for everyone. What would you think of this in Exodus, in Ezekiel chapter 24, verse 15? Also the word of the Lord came unto me, Ezekiel, son of man, behold, I take away from thee the desire of thine eyes with a stroke. Yet neither shalt thou mourn nor weep, neither shall thy tears run down. Forbear to cry, make no mourning for the dead. Bind the tire of thine head upon thee, and put on thy shoes upon thy feet, and cover not thy lips, and eat not the bread of men. So I spake unto the people in the morning, and at evening my wife died, and I did in the morning as I was Commanded. What happened? God saw the sin of his people. And God came to the great prophet and said, I'm going to cause a stroke to take your wife tonight. And she's going to die and she's going to be a sign. 
I don't want you to take your turban off your head. I want you to keep your shoes on your feet. I don't want you to do anything that resembles sorrow or grief. I don't want you to cry. I don't want that to take place. God took the prophet's wife by a stroke and told him not to cry or mourn. Why? This was a message that God was going to, going to cry, not going to cry or mourn over the people because they continued in their sin. Come on, God. You took the prophet's wife as a sign? Then you tell him not to cry or mourn? You tell him not to do anything that looks like sorrow? Why? Because God was saying, as long as my people continue to sin, I will not cry and I will not mourn for them. Sounds pretty harsh, doesn't it? You see, that was Ezekiel's horror and dread and darkness and cross that he had to bear. Now people say, well, what kind of God is that? Listen, I'm, I'm not here to deliberate what kind of God this is. I'm just telling you what Ezekiel accepted from God for his destiny, for his birth, what travail he had to go through that the people of Israel might be saved. How about this one? Hosea chapter 1 verse 2. Talk about a different process and cross for everyone. The beginning of the word of the Lord by Hosea the prophet. And the Lord said to Hosea, Go, take unto thee a wife of whoredoms and children of whoredoms. For the land hath committed great whoredoms departing from the Lord. So he went and took Goma, the daughter of Diblam, which conceived and bare him a son. Why would God go tell Hosea to marry a woman of the world? Is that the woman you want to bring home to your mother? Is that the woman you want your parents and family to meet? A woman of the world. She conceived a few children. I won't go into the names of the children at this moment. That's a different sermon. But it's very interesting to see the names of the children. How God was fed up with his people. By the names of the children that were born to Hosea and to Gomer. She went out there. She left. She decided, I'm going to go prostitute. She decided, I'm going back to the world. She left the man of God. But in the book of Hosea chapter 3, the process is different for everyone, my friend. Then said the Lord unto me, Go yet, love a woman beloved of her friend, yet an adulteress, according to the love of the Lord toward the children of Israel, who look to other gods and love flagons of wine. So I brought her to me for fifteen pieces of silver, and for a homer of barley, and a half homer of barley. What happened here? When you see the word friend, Gomer was no longer worthy to call Hosea her husband. 
And she was no longer worthy at that moment to be called a wife because now she's a whore and a prostitute. But God said to Hosea, buy her back from slavery. Buy her back from that world. And love her. Go marry the prostitute. Signifying God's forgiveness for his people. This is what God was doing. Who would think of this? Who would conjure up such a, an idea? Who would conjure up such a relationship? That a great prophet of God would marry a woman of the world who would leave him become a prostitute and he go rescue her to show her forgiveness, kindness, and love as a presentation of God's forgiveness, kindness, and love. As the prophet was to forgive the woman, God was saying, so will I forgive the people. These are horrors, my friend. Whether you talk about Abraham being willing to sacrifice Isaac if necessary. When you think about Joseph, the years. When you think about Ezekiel, Hosea, what was God trying to produce? A useful vessel. A vessel that would be productive. A vessel that would be spiritual. God was trying to give birth in the lives of these men and all the women in the Bible to bring them to the place of destiny and providence in their life. We've all sat down and said, why God? We've all sat down and said, this is just a nightmare. In 2 Kings chapter 2 and verse 19, And the men of the city said to Elisha the prophet, Behold, I pray thee, the situation of this city is pleasant as my Lord seeth. Nice place to live. But the water is naught, and the ground barren. The water is poisonous. And he said, the man of God said, Bring me a new cruise, and put salt therein. And they brought it to him. And he went forth unto the spring of the waters and cast the salt in there and said, Thus saith the Lord, I have healed these waters. There shall not from hence any more death or barren land. So the waters were healed unto this day according to the saying of Elisha which he spake. Give me a new cruise. Give me a vessel. Give me a man or woman of God. Give me a child of God that I can put salt into. That's what God's saying. Give me a new cruise that can become useful in my hands. That I can bring down to the potter's house and shape. 
who would be willing to submit to whatever they're experiencing at this moment and say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God, for this moment and this process. Why did Jesus say these words in Matthew 5.13? You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is therefore good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under the foot of men. He says we are the salt that can eradicate poison. We are the salt that can eradicate hatred and bitterness. We are the salt that we can bring into our environment and cause change as his presentation. But are we willing to bring our vessel to God? Are we willing to be broken? Are we willing to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Are we willing to lay down whatever obstacle or stubbornness is in the way of this birthing process? Do we fight for our will? Do we fight for our rights? I have rights, God. Yes, we do in Him. I have needs, God. Yes, we do in Him. I have wants, God. Yes, we do in Him. Are we willing to lay down our arguments, our controversies? Are we willing to lay down our carnal lives? Are we willing to look in the mirror and say, God, speak truth to me? Sometimes it's very hard to be honest with ourselves. It's very hard sometimes to sit down and take inventory. Where are you going? Where am I going? What am I doing? What am I achieving? Who am I helping? Am I salt? Am I light? We have to ask ourselves these questions. And am I willing to go through some process to allow God to give birth in my life to destiny. 2 Corinthians 4.7 tells us we have help, but we have this treasure. What treasure? Jesus, the power of God in earthen vessels, that the excellency of power may be of God and not of us. That's the problem. We get in the way and we think we're directing life. We think we're great. We think we're smart. We think we're eloquent. Come on, preach it. And God looks upon the wisdom of this world and laughs. And says, you're a joke. You're just a joke. And he says in Proverbs, I'll laugh at your calamity in that day. I don't want to be a joke. I don't want God to laugh at my calamity. Because when I look at this verse, that we have this treasure in earthen vessels. We have deity. 
We have a power beyond ourselves. There's an other in our life that's not part of us that is willing to come into us. He doesn't live in a tent. He doesn't live in a temple. He doesn't live in a building. But now he says, I'll take my abode in human life and make you a useful vessel for God. We walk around common. We walk around ordinary. When God says, I want to make you extraordinary. You see, there's forces in our lives, all of us, that want to pull us back to common. There's forces in our life that want us to sit still and not praise God. There's forces in our life that want to shut up the song that God has placed in our heart. There's forces in our life that doesn't want us to go through the process. There's forces in our life that want to tie us up and put us in feathers and put us in some kind of spiritual, emotional jail. My God, we got to break loose. My God, we got to break out. My God, we need the power of the Holy Spirit and say, God, break the chains. Loose me from whatever doesn't matter that I might praise you, that I might sanctify myself and separate myself to you. Because I want to be that wonder. I want to be that sign. I want to be that soul. I want to be that new cruise. I want to be that useful vessel. I want to be a child of God. I want to soar to great house. I want to mount up with weeds like eagles. Don't hold me by the coattail. Unless you want to follow me. But don't hold me back, man. Life is short. Time is short. People are playing games. People are playing nonsensical games, carnal games. You know when Joshua told the people, the man is going to stop. Make your own lunch. It's time to go to work. That's what he was saying. He said, get your victuals. You know what that was? Get your own food. The pancakes are stopping. The the." Food from heaven is stopping. There's no water coming out of the rock no more. Grow up. Get a life. Move on. That's where I'm at in life right now spiritually. I got to move on. Whoever comes, comes. Who doesn't, doesn't. As an under shepherd, I have to move on spiritually. Because God is calling me. God is calling me to be a wonder. And I say that not braggadociously. I'm saying the word of God. God is calling me to be a sign to the generation. God is calling me to be light and salt. And God is calling you to the same thing. But we're playing games. And we're using all of our energy to try to fix things we cannot fix. Until we sanctify ourselves and separate ourselves to God. And say, God, you do it. No matter what the cost. God's had to take some people out of my life. I say God has had to try to has had to take some people out of my life that didn't want me to move on spiritually. And you know what? That's okay. The pain, the hurt, absolutely. 
But my ultimate destiny is to look into the face of my Savior. And hear the words. Well done. Thou great and faithful servant, enter into the joys of the Lord. Not here to please people. Not here to blow people's noses and cut their toenails. Not here to do that. When they're of age that they should be eating meat of the word of God. What does the Bible say? God wants to empty us. 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 20. But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these... He shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified, and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. There are certain things in our life that God wants to remove. We must allow him. We must allow him access. I say we must allow him availability to our life. We must allow him entrance. He is the door. The Bible says in Exodus chapter 17 verse 3, And the people thirsted there for water. And the people murmured against Moses and said, Come on, pastor, you're not treating us right. Yeah, you you brought us out of Egypt. Yeah, yeah, God used you with all them signs and wonders. Yeah, we got pancakes and we got some of that meat from heaven. But we're thirsty, man. We're thirsty. Wherefore is this that thou brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our cattle with thirst? You see how quick people turn on you? (laughs) You see how quick they turn on you? You become their discussion. You become their Sunday roast beef. They cut you up, they carve you out, and they spit you out. Come on, Pastor Moses. Don't you see the need, brother? What, are you blind? I know you're 80 years old, but come on, brother. And Moses cried unto the Lord, saying, What shall I do unto this people? They'd be almost ready to stone me. Think about it. They want to kill the man of God. They want to talk to the man of God. They want to kill the man of God. Why? Because you're thirsty. Is that the real reason? Or is the real reason that you will not submit to the process of being birthed into your destiny? That you want someone to hold your hand. You want someone to take care of you. You want me to put that manner on your doorstep every day. You want that entitlement check. You want the quail coming from heaven. Guess what? As God told the prophet Uzziah, Uncle Uzi is dead. The gravy train isn't running no more. Lionel Railroad has closed down, Isaiah. Uzziah, Uncle Uzi, is gone. You will no longer be eating at his table. Hmm. They'd be almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go on before the people and take with thee the elders of Israel and thy rod. Wherefore thou smotest the river, take in thine hand and go. Behold, I will stand before thee upon the rock in Horeb, and thou shalt smite the rock, 
And there shall come water out of it that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of the Lord. Do you know that animals and three million people drank from the water of that rock? Three million Jews and their cattle. That God gave water to a bunch of crybabies who wanted to kill their pastor. But Moses did something wrong. Because he allowed the people to get to him. I said he allowed the people to get to him. In Numbers 20 and 11, and Moses lifted up his hand and with his rod he smoked the rock twice. And the water came out abundantly and the congregation drank and their their beasts also. These are two things that are going on here. The rock represented Jesus. A type and shadow to come. He was smitten one time on the cross, not twice. One time the sacrifice was made for our sins. Moses struck the rock twice, signifying that it wasn't going to be enough for Christ to be struck once. Moses made a great, terrible mistake. And he paid for it. Because he never really entered into that promised land. But the water was also a type and shadow of the waters and rivers of living water. This wasn't a puddle that four people drank from. Three million people and their animals drank from this rock. And what did Jesus say? If you drink from this well, if you drink from this rock, you will never thirst again. That's what he told the woman at the Samaritan well. But how many are willing to drink from the well? How many are willing to have rivers of living water flowing out of their belly? Because people want it their way, their design, their process, their plan. God, you got to do it this way. You see, you know what we do? We tell God our plan and we ask Him in prayer to implement our plan. And God laughs, I believe, and says, no. this must be a joke, right? Yeah. You meant to send this to someone else, <laughs> not me. Because if you look at your text message spiritually, it says, not delivered. It says, not delivered. And then we wonder why God didn't answer our prayer. Ezekiel chapter 47 verse 1. I'm drawing to a close. I'm bringing you to a point. God wants the river flowing in your life and in the life of the church. Listen, I'm going to make a statement right now. There'll never be a revival in your soul unless you allow the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the first evidence of speaking in other tongues to overwhelm you, to begin this process that God wants to begin in your life. There will never be a revival in the churches in America until people allow the Holy Spirit to be unleashed in their pulpits and in their pews, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You'll just live a common, ordinary life. And if that's what you settle for, so be it. So be it. Peanut butter and jelly is one of my favorite sandwiches. But not every day. Come on, that's right. 
And it doesn't matter if you switch up the next day and put the peanut butter on the top slice or the bottom. It's still peanut butter and jelly. Hear me. Ezekiel said this in Ezekiel 47 and 1. Afterward, he brought me again unto the door of the house. And behold, waters issued out from under the threshold of the house eastward. For the forefront of the house stood toward the east. And the waters came down from under the right side of the house at the south side of the altar. Then brought he me out of the way of the gate northward and led me about the way unto the utter gate by the way that looketh eastward. And behold, there ran out waters on the right side. And when the man that had the line in his hand went forth eastward, he measured a thousand cubits and he brought me through the waters that the waters were to the ankles. And he measured a thousand and brought me through the waters and the waters were to the knees. Again, he measured a thousand and he brought me. The waters were to the loins. Afterward, he measured a thousand and it was a river that I could not pass over. For the waters were risen. Waters to swimming, a river that could not be passed over. You know what God is saying? The same thing he said to Ezekiel when he said, pray to the four winds, the north and the south and the east and the west. And said, come Holy Spirit. God is saying, I want to put you in that water. I want to put you in that river. I don't want you to get ankle deep. I don't want you to get knee deep. I don't want it to come up to your thighs. I want to overwhelm you. I want to plunge you in that water. I want to baptize you in that water. I want to baptize you in the power of God, in the fire of God, and in the Holy Ghost fire. That's the process that God is trying to bring the church through. Not a sprinkle. Not a rain shower. Not a little drizzle. But he wants to fill the glass of water in your life your cruise, and plunge it into a pitcher of water and bring it all the way to the bottom so you're surrounded from the east and the north and the south and the west with the rivers of living water. Man, that's an experience. But what do people do? That's not for me. I don't want that. I don't like that. I'm not emotional. I'm quiet. You know what? I used to be a very quiet, inferior person growing up. I was a loner. Now my big mouth is. You think I had something to do with that? No, it's when the power of God came in my life that God changed my destiny. God changed the process of becoming an intellectual, an academic achiever to someone spiritual that I can become a presentation for God. What's the cry of the Lord this morning? It's the same cry that was heard over 2,000 years ago. John chapter 7, verse 37. In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried saying, If any man thirst, are you thirsty? Let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture had said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. You think that's changed? You you think the mandate of God has changed? Jesus cried. It wasn't some silent cry. It was the croak of a raven or a scream. It was a call that was loud. It was a shriek. It was an exclamation. It was an entreaty. It was crying out and saying to people, Come on, people. I had this for you. And you sit there, reserved. Your synagogues 
A form of godliness, but denying the power of God thereof. Come on out. And it's the same today. That's a nice sermon, Pastor. It's not. Until you apply it. I'm just giving you information. If you allow the Holy Spirit to turn it into wisdom and knowledge, and you become a doer of the sermon and the doer of the word, then it's a nice sermon. But you'll walk out that door, and you'll forget it. If you don't allow the process to take place. What's this river that God is talking about? It's the current. It's that running water. It's that flood. It's a spiritual surge that God wants you to imbibe, that God wants you to drink from. You know, I've said numerous times, God gave me a vision a few years ago of a river. And God showed me in that river there was tree limbs, cans, dead animals, and carcasses, and junk, and garbage. And I said, Lord, what's the signification of the vision? Out of your belly, son, shall flow rivers of living water. And if you allow that river to flow through your life, I'll get rid of the dead trees, and the dead carcasses, and the dead soda pop cans and all the nonsense and junk that holds you back I will clear that river because I'm coming as a rushing mighty river that's what God wants to do in your life and that's what God wants to do in the church but once you put your hand up and you tell the train to stop it stops it stays in the station and you know why it stays in the station because people are seduced by a seducing spirit that tells them, that's not for me. I never learned it that way. I never was taught that. Well, guess what, my friend? You refute the word of God, and I'll change my message. You show me where I'm wrong in the word, and I'll change my message. But you know what? You will not show me where I'm wrong. Because I'm preaching to you the word of God. And in closing, here's what God says in the last book of the Bible. Revelation 22 and 1. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven. Prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. And he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, It is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. And I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the waters of life freely. Revelation chapter 22 and verse 17. And the spirit and bride say, Come. And let him that heareth say, Come. And let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. It's an invitation. 
God began with an invitation, I believe in Genesis chapter 7 and verse 1, when he told Noah to come into the ark. And God ends with the last book of the Bible in Revelation with an invitation to come, all you that are thirsty, that God might fill you with the Holy Spirit. If there's going to be a revival in your heart, if there's going to be a revival in your church, if there's going to be a revival in your relationships, in your home, and in your family, if there's going to be a revival among your children, it's going to come one way. By presenting our crews to God and saying to Him, you fill it. And I am willing to go through the process that my destiny might be birthed in me and through you, Lord, that I might become the wonder and the sign and the presentation of God to the world, that I might be that salt and that light that will change the course and destiny of another person's life. God bless you. Thank you for listening. Would you stand with us? Powerful word.